great coaches ask great questions. Best days at work are the days when the light bulb goes on for somebody else. Welcome to episode nine of On It, Not In It with Todd Eppert, business coach with Focal Point Business Coaching. I did it right this time. You got it. <laughs> Rock on. Last, over the last couple of episodes, we've been talking about the value drivers, which is what can an owner do from day one to help make sure your succession plan is going to be as successful as possible, especially if you're going to market with it. Now, going from day one to day 6,080 is going to be a pretty major change in your life. I just made up a number. I have no idea how many years that is. But looking at that, a company's going to change constantly. But the point that the only the only regularity is is change. So how does a company adapt to those kind of major changes? And look at the lemonade stand, for example. Yeah, that, that's a great question. So you're right. I mean, we've been talking about transition. And if you want to go down the path of change management, there's no greater change than a business will have to go through than when the owner the original owner transitions out. Right. That's a massive change effort. Um, and if you prepare well, like we've been talking about in the last couple of episodes, certainly the owner's ready to go, but is the business ready for the owner? Sure. Right? So um, I did spend a significant amount of time uh, earlier in my career as a, as a continuous improvement person with a firm doing consulting work. I know you like to call me a consultant. I appreciate so There you go. Still, that's fine. And uh, one of the things that we used to do in the beginning of those efforts was we would ask the owner in the business or the president of the business to hold an all-company meeting and then cast vision for us. And what we were asking them to do, and this is a weird example, but we were asking them to build an oil platform and make sure that they got all of their people on the oil platform and then set it on fire. Oh, okay. <laughs> Not metaphorically, of course. Of course, right? yeah. Of course. But the point we'll of that you, was BP. they have to cast vision. They have to create a sense of urgency, right? People change for one of two reasons. They choose to or you make it hurt not to. Exactly. We don't want to make it hurt not to, right? That's the kind of the management side of change. What we want to do is we want to really lead change. Instead of make, you know, slapping people when they don't want to change, we want to make it good for them to change. So there's a couple things that um, I use in my own practice um, as I'm talking about change management with companies. Uh, one is called Gleischer's Formula. It's a very old formula, and it's a very simple formula. Basically, everybody basically resists change. Mm -hmm. So if you put that on one side of the mathematical equation with a less than symbol, so resistance has to be less than something, mm -hmm. and then a three times multiple. So the first thing is vision. You have to do a great job of casting. Where are we trying to go? What's the purpose of this vision, and why are we doing it? The second piece of it is early first steps. So giving them a kind of an indication of what are we going to do tomorrow? We're talking about something we're trying to become in three years. What are we going to do tomorrow, the next day, in the next week or two to make sure that we start the process well? And then the last piece is there has to be a level of dis dissatisfaction with the current process. So if any of those is zero in a multiplication problem, your right side of your equation is zero. Therefore, resistance will always win out. So you have to do all three of those things. You have to do a good job of casting vision, which if you do a good job of casting vision and the why behind it and the, and the dissatisfaction combined, that'll help you create that sense of urgency that's really important to get some things going. And then those first steps that you're talking about should bring about some early wins. Then once you get a few wins, then people get excited about change. So, and I, that's a great simple model. 
in the process. I love that. That's huge. And I think looking at any firm that's going through change, they're going to be looking at a model like that. And how do you build that reluctance? And how do you how do you get your investor team to go through that? And as you said a second ago, the biggest change that most firms are going to have is that generation one to generation two ownership. If that's in the same family, if that's a buyout, if that's all the different strategies we've already talked about with succession planning, it's going to be a major change. So how do you help firms navigate through that change? So that's it. That's again, another great question. So the first thing you have to do there is create that sense of urgency. And um, you've probably been around enough businesses in the community that you've seen that when the owner dies, there's a tremendous amount of sense of urgency to do something with that business. Most of the time, unfortunately, the owner did not do a good job in preparing. And so a lot of times that business scrambles or they've done a good job of preparing and it's almost like, okay, dad was great. We love him but he built us a great business, let's carry on, right? Some businesses can transcend time like that because they do a good job of transitioning. Mm -hmm. um, but the sense of urgency is really important. And I use an eight-step model, by the way, I'll just tell you in change management, that comes from John Cotter. He's one of the foremost change experts in the world. Um, I use a great book called Our Iceberg is Melting. It's about a bunch of cute little penguins <laughs> and everybody can read it and they get the concepts. But the first thing you need to do is create that sense of urgency. So when working with clients, um, if they're saying, I think I want to get out of business in three to five years, or I want to transition to my children or whatever. Okay, what are we going to do to create a sense of urgency about what we need to be doing today to make sure that we're ready whenever you're ready? We're not going to push you out. This isn't a nest where we're going to push baby birds out of it. <laughs> but, you know, the, the nice thing that you can do with that is if you do a good job of preparing is you're ready whenever that change is needed. So if you get sick, you're ready. If something catastrophically happens, you're ready. If somebody walks through the door and says, I'll offer you $10 million, you're ready, right? Right. All of the, you're ready for anything. If you do a good job of creating a sense of urgency around the change that we have to do today, anticipating what's gonna happen in the future. So cast the vision, why are we doing this? It, you gotta win some hearts and minds when you're doing that. Um, and then the, the second piece is that you got to pull together a team of people. So as a coach, I'm one of the team that's helping those family, that family transition. But I've mentioned already, you might need an accountant. You might need an attorney. You might need a wealth management person. You're, there's a lot of people that you need around you as you're thinking about transitioning the business, whether you're going to sell it or you're going to give it to your kids or you're going to sell it to your partner or whatever you're doing in transition. Mm -hmm. All of those people are going to be important in your process. Right. So it's outlining who this process is. Yeah, and they have a unique, each one of those people has a very unique set of skills that the other doesn't have. And so I consider myself as the coach, kind of the quarterback of the team. Mm -hmm. uh, I can't do legal work. I can't do accounting work. And I, I certainly don't do that work or wealth management work. So I'm going to bring people in around me, if you don't know people, that I trust and build your team for you. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the second thing I would do. Nice. That's awesome. Now looking at what can happen when when someone comes in and, and being a quarterback and i know coming to the coach to the change that's you're still definitely the quarterback but that business owner is going to have tremendous influence over their firm right they are they're basically many times that they are the people that set the culture and yes. the culture is everything else that kind of goes along with them too that can also change because a culture of me starting a company is going to look very different from alex my my audio engineer starting a company a good example of this is with one of the staffing firms that we have it's when, when my parents transitioned out of it, he is a hardcore boomer. And just to be, I mean, completely blown with everything too. Dress code to the T, no visible tattoos, no piercings, hat piece suit every day. Women have to wear pantyhose. I'm over here being like, cut off t-shirts and short shorts, right? So th with that, that cultural change has to be huge for most <laughs> companies, right? 
Yeah, I mean, what I would tell you is, is uh, when you're an army of one, the culture is you. Whatever you want to do in your business, that's your culture. But if you're not intentional about what you want your company's culture to be, the second you hire a second person, there's already change happening. Right. Third person, another change. Fourth person, another change. So you, you know of companies that have great cultures. Like I'll give you a good example. Southwest was known to have a great culture. Right, they were the fun airline, and they they really built that in. Now, arguably, they've probably gone through some changes because of the market, and what's right. gone on with travel and everything else recently. But man, Southwest was known for a long time to be the fun airline. Right, um, it people came there to work because they enjoyed working in the airline industry at Southwest. Right, right. that was their culture. So a, a lot of companies do that. If you build an intentional culture around core values and vision, and communicate that, and drive that into how you do business every single day, the culture is catching right mm -hmm. it's like you catch a cold you catch culture right um, so now then when that ownership transition happens do you find more often that when those those owners come in they try to change the culture or do they become a part of that culture and kind it of depends on how strong the culture is so if it's a good culture where there's value again go back to kind of one of those unwritten values of the business if that culture drives some of those eight value drivers that we talked about and customers love you and employees love you well then why would you change the culture but if you buy a business that's not doing well that is not that, that didn't do a good job building their value drivers. They might come in with their own culture and mm. strap it on top of your business. And look, I've been involved in a lot of companies like that where I was acquired or I was merged or I acquired other people. And if um, you know, if you don't have a culture, someone's going to change it for you. If you have one, you might be more valuable. Awesome, that makes sense. So what you're buying in the business is actually a piece of the culture, so keep that culture. If right. there isn't value to it, what would you typically do? So so again, go back to that change management cycle. If you do change management well, part of the intention of change is to drive a new culture. Mm. So right. So um, if you figure out you've got to do something different in your business or a new ownership group comes in and they don't see the value of the current culture, they're gonna to wanna to come in, do some change management, Get some people around, what do we need to do differently as a business? Hopefully set a sense of urgency, build a team, go through this, the proper steps, and at the end, you're going to have a better culture from it. So mm -hmm. good change management should actually create good new culture mm -hmm. if you think about if it's done correctly. Mm -hmm. uh, so even go back to the little book I was talking about. Penguins were people that lived on the same iceberg for their entire lives never moved at the end of that book they changed their culture to be a migratory oh, they, penguin group right because they like moving from iceberg to iceberg instead of staying at the same place nice that makes right. a lot of sense it's a little silly example but it's true no i love it and i think that as we face more and more changes in the, the economy and the environment and i mean if covid taught us one thing it's we have to be ready to change on I mean, a minute's notice. DeWine was at Wine with DeWine every day at 2 p.m. I yep. mean, he's telling you how you're doing business the next week if you like it or not. So how have you seen that impacting the people that you typically coach? Um, so the pandemic or the just different things? What are you asking? Yeah, great question. Let's talk about the pandemic first, and then we'll talk about pivoting during the next episode. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so the pandemic, you're right. Uh, I think we, we used to say, I think everybody knew at some point, you've got to continue to grow and change and evolve your business or the competitors are going to pass you by. Right. I mean, there's example after example after example of how it's happened over the years is, um, you know, Kodak was the first developer of digital cameras, but they didn't take it on. And so, cause they thought film was always going to rule and they're still a player, but they're not the digital player of the world, right? They could have owned it. Um, you know, Blockbuster is a great example. Everybody went to Blockbuster video. Why didn't they, pivot to being more of a virtual they had instead Netflix too. came along and took the market from them. They missed the opportunity to change with the market forces that were coming around. Mm -hmm. What happened in 2020 was something that 
I mean, if you ask crazy people, they might say, oh yeah, pandemic was inevitable. It's been a hundred years, right? But nobody knew when a pandemic was right. gonna happen. Nobody knew exactly when it was gonna happen. I actually was in a, an economist's discussion. I think it was in summer of 19 and people were asking him, well, what are the 2020s gonna look like? And he said, oh, it's gonna be very robust economy. I see a lot of growth in the 20s. Well, what could stop that? Well, global war or a pandemic <laughs> were his words. Yay, right? March 2020. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> now, he's not, he didn't predict the pandemic. He was simply saying that based on all the normal forces that are going on, I see a lot of growth in the economy. Right. If something drastically changes that nobody sees coming, that's going to change the rules I have. Mm-hmm. So the pandemic came along and changed the rules. You mentioned Mike DeWine. Um, I actually had a client at the time that the day Mike DeWine closed the bars and restaurants in our state, they lost 90% of their revenue overnight. Oh, I'm sure. 19, 9D, 9-0. Nope. Yeah. Right? And they had made some uh, good decisions. I might have talked about these guys in the past, but... Um, they made some good decisions. They started canning before that happened. They had okay. bought their own canning line and they were able to pivot their business to be more of a, a, a container company rather than a keg in the bar room oh, company. Cool. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so they were distributing more. People could come in and buy beer from their coolers or they could go to the stores and drop it off. Right. Instead of having to have somebody come into the tap room, which got closed by Mike DeWine, right. to have their beer. So that's a good example of someone that was... Uh, they made a good decision that I'm not sure they really, they were just making the right decision at the time when they were making decisions and it worked out to probably be the best decision they could have ever made. Nice. Uh, rather than expanding or putting another location in or something like that. Right. right? Uh, but that happened to a lot of companies, right? A lot of companies had to, There, some people took off, right? Um, I read an article just the other day about how the alcohol companies had shifted to make uh, hand sanitizer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and they're making all this hand sanitizer because nobody could keep up. And now the FDA is going back to them and saying, you're using too much. Of the, they use the wrong from like 2020. They're going back to old samples and they're finding these people. And they're like, man, I, I was trying to help the world out by making hand sanitizer. And you're coming at me with some stupid, you know, some regulation that... I was just trying to make hand sanitizer to get people clean, right? Yep. So, you know, some people pivoted and they did what they had to do to survive, like my example. Um, other people pivoted and they created a whole different business model. Think about the example of like the Netflix versus Blockbuster. There's a lot of people that did that. Uh, maybe and if you think about it today, a lot of restaurants that never offered carryout still offer carryout today, mm-hmm. right? Not, you know, used to be... Well, Uber was probably going to push us there anyways. Door right. Over time, DoorDash and Uber was going to become the, if you want to get to-go food, we'll get it from anywhere you want. We'll go to Ramsey's, we'll go to McDonald's, we'll go wherever you want to go, right? Uh, but now everybody has carryout mm-hmm. because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually think, um, and I'm, I'm not a... I'm not a prophet. I'm not trying to predict what's going to happen. Oh, I'm excited for this. Time I see, and date. I see workplaces shrinking, yeah. and I see more on-the-go businesses coming about, which is kind of interesting. We've been kitchen takeovers in the ghost restaurants. Yeah. I mean, you look at every single major chain right now has their own non-branded chicken nugget, whatever, business model to do the same thing to capitalize on that. Yep. Makes a lot of sense. That's right. So next episode, I want to spend the entire time talking about pivots and how a company pivots. But before we get then, when do you know when is the time to change? I mean, obviously, 2020, <laughs> you have to change. But there's been a lot of riding the walls for a lot of industries. And let's look at BlackBerry, who's one of my favorite examples for this. They were live or die by their keyboard. They mm-hmm. said that touchscreens are never going to take over because nobody wants fingerprints on their phone. Right? There was writing on the wall. So when as a firm outside of a transition, which you've already talked a lot about with succession planning or global pandemic, how do you decide when is the time to change? Man, Nick, if I knew the answer to that, I'd probably be the wealthiest person on the planet. (laughs) 
right? I'd be buying the stock that should be that's about to change and have the world changer, and I'd be selling the stock that was in the top that before it crashed, right? right. Or I'd be telling people the secret sauce. But um, I think go back to some of the things that we were talking about before. If you're doing regular reviews with your customers and your customers are no longer giving you nines and tens, as an example, or they're mm-hmm. not giving you five stars, you may have a problem, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's really, really important to stay educated in your industry. So if you're reading industry magazines and it's talking about the fact that, um, you know, as, take my industry as an example. Um, there's an app for everything mm-hmm. on your phone. Mm-hmm. We've talked about uh, virtual coaching. Mm-hmm. The problem is right now, today, um, AI is not smart enough to have the empathy Mm-hmm. To have the questions that you might ask a, cl- a clot, you know, the thinking on your feet questions that mm-hmm. can pivot the conversation in a completely different direction and really get value from the coach to the client. Um, but in the same sense, we, we are also building online learning management systems to back up our coaching. So that's what I think that's what the coaching industry is going to be sliding to more is a combination of learn on your own pace and then check in with your coach, kind of like what we do in, in, in universities today. Uh, the flipped classroom model is the example. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know that I know the answer to that from, I mean, it's too late if you're, if you're watching. So there's an old thing called the sigmoid curve in business and there's lots of traps along the way. One of the traps at the top of the arc is the success trap. Everything I do is always going to be good. I never have to change. And then there's a decline. And if you don't, if you fall, if you don't catch the knife as it's falling, as an example, you can fall into the decline trap and the, right. the denial trap, right? You're denying it's going to have. So I would watch your financials. Mm-hmm. If they start to flatten out, if you're looking at your products and you see some products start to dwindle and it's not seasonal, what's going on here, you might need to do something different. If customers are leaving you, um, you might have a problem, right? Mm-hmm. So I... Uh, I, my kids go to school uh, near Harper's Point in Cincinnati, and I was shocked to see that Panera shut down there. I don't know if you're aware of that Panera mm-hmm. shutting down. Panera Bread is a strong company. They've been around for decades, right? They provide good food and coffee and a place for people to meet. My understanding, and I've heard through the rumor mill, I don't know if this is true or not, but they wanted to put a driver or a, um, a window on that building, and they weren't allowed, and Starbucks was on the other end. They beat it to them, right? They beat them to it. So I think they're trying to focus more on smaller locations with drive-through capabilities. Is my guess is the pivot that, that Panera is looking to make. Awesome. Is my guess. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's just a, an example of they see a trend in the industry, and they're going to make. They're trying to capitalize on it. That's brilliant. I think that's a pretty good stopping point for this episode. But next episode, I want to dig into how do we make that pivot because it's one thing that most companies can't do, and that's one of the big success indicators. Yep. So until next time, this was on it, not in it, with Todd Eppert, business coach, not consultant.